It's time to get chiseled with Rob Hamadari. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Chiseled. And why do we call it Chiseled? Because we're all work in progress. I'm Rob Kamadari. I'm your host. I'm also the author of the book, Better Than You Think. And I think today's podcast might be better than you think as well, because I have a special guest on the show today. His name is David Shar, And I met Dave through Toastmasters, gosh, about 14, 15 years ago. Is that correct, Dave? Something like that. We were just saying, you probably we've probably known each other almost as long as I've known my wife. Yeah, so she's got to step aside and give me my time now, right? This is my time here, the next 40, 30, 40 minutes or so, right? That's fair. That's awesome. So, yeah, so I know Dave for, for a long time through Toastmasters. And if you're not familiar with Toastmasters, it's a public speaking forum where you go to learn to be a better speaker and, might I say, a better listener as well. And it's it's also an opportunity to network and just become better. And you could, we could also you, you become chiseled in the way you listen and the way you speak. But Dave is a interesting guy, man. He's he's a very smart guy. I want to say one of the smartest guys I know. Very intelligent. He uh, he actually owned you owned the Cold Stone before, correct? Mm-hmm. Cold yeah. Stone Ice Cream Place, Ice Creamery, whatever, however you want to phrase that. But it, I love their ice cream. It's like you like it, love it, or gotta have it, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but he is a PhD candidate. And Dave, yeah. tell me what that means. So I had no idea what any of these terms meant either, you know, before I went down this rabbit hole and maybe I wouldn't have if I knew how much was, was, uh, how much, um, uh, work there was to it. But PhD candidate basically means that I'm done all the coursework than I, that I will ever do. So it's less of me taking in, um, knowledge that's sort of prepackaged in a course uh, the only thing I have left, and I say the only thing with quotation marks because it could take a while, is um, is actually writing my dissertation. Well, dissertation. So, so how long does a dissertation have to be? Because I write notes, and sometimes people tell me I wrote a dissertation. I know that's way, way, <laughs> way shorter than you know, what you have to do. Yeah, they they can be pretty. They can be pretty long. They could take a long, long time uh, to write. So. Um, you know, we're talking years, like three, four, five, I'm hoping, uh, you know, each year I have it as my goal to be complete, uh, have my dissertation completed by the end of that year. So that was my goal for 2021 and 2022. And it's now my goal for 2023. We'll see how that goes. Well, what's, what's funny about that? And, and please don't do what I did. Do what you want. Do what your goal is, because I, I wrote a goal back in 2005 to write a book and it took me 14 years to do it. So let's not take 14 years to get that dissertation completed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> your, your book was way too late coming out. You should have had 10 by now. And I feel like I'm falling into a similar trap with my dissertation. Well, well I'll push you along. I'm happy to push you <laughs> along. So Dave, Dave's a, he's, a fa- he's married and he's a father of five children. And uh, kudos to that because this day and age raising five kids has got to be hard while mm. in the process of getting his PhD. So David's getting his PhD in business psychology. Very interesting. So Dave, if you don't mind sharing with us, why did there, tell me how the business psychology thing came about. So originally I was a college dropout and, uh, and an entrepreneur and I was, um, following, you know, the entrepreneurial path, business after business, sort of like trying different things. Um, and that's when, um, I landed on cold stone and, uh, with that ice cream parlor, I thought I was getting into the world of ice cream and I was prepared for that. 
uh, very prepared for that because um, for those of you who are not watching the video, I can inform you that uh, when I was invited on a podcast called Chiseled, I was a little confused because I am not. I'm an ice cream <laughs> aficionado. That I am. And so I thought it was uh, getting into uh, the ice cream business, but I had no idea uh, what else I was getting into. So most of my employees came from uh, the inner city of Baltimore um, and from some really rough homes. Um, and I was so ignorant that I didn't know um, that they weren't supposed to be loyal to me and I wasn't supposed to be loyal to them. I was too ignorant to know that I shouldn't give a 16-year-old girl from the projects a key to the ice cream store and make her a manager on her 16th birthday. Luckily, uh, she and my crew, they were just as ignorant. They didn't know I wasn't supposed to trust them either. And so they rose to that level of trust. And instead of having, um, you know, in the restaurant industry, uh, you see annual turnover rates of well over 100%, right? Like turning over more than your entire staff every year. Um, in my ice cream parlor, people didn't want to leave. They would show up on their days off. Uh, they just, there was this sense of community and purpose um, in scooping ice cream. And that, that was uh, really strange and interesting to me that that was happening accidentally you know, through my leadership that I accidentally, like I didn't stand in the way of it. So it kind of happened. And, um, and I wondered why so many of my friends who were lawyers, doctors, nurses, um, teachers, uh, people who worked in objectively meaningful work, uh, dreaded going to work on Monday, but these inner city teens and young adults were finding meaning in scooping ice cream. So that drove me toward uh, Googling everything I could about employee engagement and really diving as deep as I could until I couldn't dive any deeper through Google. And I searched out um, uh, furthering my education and ended up getting my master's at the University of Maryland College Park in industrial organizational psychology and continued on uh, at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology pursuing my PhD. Well, so what's interesting about that, you talk about meaningful work. And there's two things that come to mind for me. I, I have a real estate business. I have a company, a group, or whatever, uh, how you want to phrase it, but a team. But we talk about, hey, building a team and, and, and coaching people along and coaching to a point where, hey, they're good enough to leave and do this on their own, but the environment and the culture is so good they don't want to leave. Mm. And so you talk about the lawyers, doctors, and all these people that they, they come, they have people working for them and they don't want to come to work. They dread it on Monday morning. And you got people scooping ice cream. They can't wait to be there. And even on their days off showing up. Right. So what, how, how do you, you said that you didn't step, you didn't get in the way and you didn't, it happened by accident. So how did you create a meaningful working environment at Coldstone? Yeah, I think I think um, one of the main ingredients, maybe the main ingredient, um, was trust. Um, I, I think I think giving people the trust that they deserved, uh, instead of instead of making them earn it or just having this natural distrust. Um, I think when I trusted people and involved them in every aspect, if if there was a marketing decision, I was asking my my um, you know, minimum wage, you know, teenage ice cream scoopers, what they thought, right? Um, this, so the, the trust piece was was very big. The other piece was that I'm just naturally mission-driven. I don't want to do anything without there being a deeper 
meaning to it. I want to, uh, I view work as a place where we can impact the world in a positive way, right? So we, we, throughout our lives, we have these life missions, you know, we feel like we're on some sort of mission. Um, where better than work to come together in a diverse team of people who have complementary skills uh, to yours and and different sort of outlooks and and to foster that diversity to come together and work together toward having a larger impact on the world around you. And so while we were serving ice cream, for me and then for them as well, it became about so much more than ice cream. We had this tiny little spot in Baltimore City, but from that place, from that brick and mortar store, we were trying to impact the rest of the city, if not the, the world. Why stop dreaming there, right? Um, through offering something deeper. Because people don't come and get ice cream because they're hungry. They come and get ice cream because they're celebrating something. They come and get ice cream because they're bonding. It's a date or a family night out. Uh, your soccer team just won or your soccer team just lost. You know, we would have, um, uh, there was one time I remember when a widow came in and started crying because the song on the loudspeaker reminded her of her husband. And she's there alone eating an ice cream. And my crew member went around and sat with her. Um, it, was, it was our place to have a positive impact on a city that gets a bad rap a lot. Um, and, to, and to make a change, you know, one person at a time. And that certainly was true about uh, changing, uh, making a change through our customers. But it also, for me, became true about having that impact on my crew, on my employees, and and um, taking that role of leadership very seriously, and not seriously as in my ego, but seriously as in the responsibility of it and the weight of it. Um, when when people come to work for you, uh, and you have their identity is tied into it, and their their whole their lives, they dedicate so much of their life, even for a part-time job, you're dedicating so much. That responsibility that a leader has is not something that should ever be taken lightly. So when you first bought into that uh, Cold Stone franchise, was it like, okay, my goal is to buy a franchise, make, you know, build this business and make money? Or right out of the gate, was it like, hey, I want to do some meaningful work with this Cold Stone franchise? Yeah, there, there was a natural excitement for me to work with my crew, right? Um, it wasn't that I, I, you know, sometimes you find people with businesses that their goal is to pull themselves out of the business and just have it run. Like I wanted to be in there, in the trenches, collaborate um, with my crew. Uh, so there were elements of it that were there, but I had no idea what I was going to find. The, the impactful day for me uh, when it all started clicking was one day when one of my crew members, Simone, came into work and she was um, acting really down. She was normally really sort of upbeat and would flip ice cream for people and and uh, and do all sorts of tricks. But this day she seemed really different and much more quiet. And so I, I called her aside and said, what's going on? 
And that's when I saw that literally a tear was falling from her eye. I'm like, what's happening? And she told me that um, her boyfriend, who was either in the Bloods or the Crips, this is a high school kid, either in the Bloods or the Crips, um, he was uh, shot multiple times, left for dead. Um, they flew his, uh, they flew him to shock trauma. Um, but the word was that they didn't think he was going to survive. And I asked her, why are you here? Like, don't come to work when, when you're yeah. surrounded by trauma like this. And I, I basically tried to like push her out of the store, uh, telling her to, to, you know, wherever you need to be, like, maybe you need to sit alone somewhere need, maybe you need to be with family or with friends. I don't know, but not at work. And she told me that she needs to be here. She can only be here. This is her happy place. And those words still ring in my ears. And that's really uh, the the best thing I can compare it to was when my firstborn was was born. Um, my my eldest child, my son, uh, when he was born, it was like, it wasn't really real to me. I didn't really get what was happening. My wife surely did. She was pregnant for nine months. But for me, I was sort of not, like I hadn't internalized it until the first time that I held him. And it, suddenly it was this huge, spiritual moment, but it was also this moment where I felt this huge weight on my shoulders. And that moment with Simone um, was was very similar to that for me, um, that I was so blessed to be in a position of leadership um, and that I couldn't take that for granted um, and that there was a ton of responsibility uh, involved there. And my job was to be there for my people and lo and behold, it turns out that when you were there for your people, they're there for you and good things happen. That's amazing, David. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, you reminded me uh, of, uh, and, and I had no idea this was going to come up, but the thought came up when you, when you talked about uh, Simone's boyfriend you know, being shot and left for dead and she still wanted to show up there. Just reminding me of uh, a woman that worked for me for 17 and a half years. And unfortunately she was diagnosed with cancer and very aggressive. And for a year, uh, she didn't, she didn't want to feel sorry for herself and she didn't want to, uh, you know, want anybody to feel sorry for her. She wanted to come to work every day because whether it was her happy place or it was meaningful to her and it kept her mind off things, but she wanted to be there. And that's just amazing for people to have that mindset and, and for you to create that. I mean, she must've had some of that built into her, but you had to create that environment for that to occur. Would you agree with that? I think, I think I would humbly say that I played a role in it. I think that it also had to do with her. I think it also had to do with um, with the employees and how I selected employees to come uh, join us. Um, but but really, I do think so much of it was baked into her and her and her coworkers. Um, but I I don't think that that normally employees are lacking this. I think that most people want to go to work and have a significant impact on the world through their work. Um, I think that it's not about um, it's not about creating that in them. It's about just don't stand in the way of it. You know, I think that we do the opposite and we and we crush that uh, way way too often. I think I think that that's really the only thing I didn't do. I so you say crush it. What do you mean? Like what do you mean by like we crush it? What do you mean we we somebody well, has an idea and you say now that's not going to work? Yeah, when we take away somebody's autonomy. And we set up barriers in the in the form of 
bureaucracy and stupid rules that don't matter and and even the rules that do matter but without communicating why they matter and getting the buy-in um when we when we communicate things without starting with the why or the end result when we when we don't trust people and we check in on them and micromanage them um when they come to work and they're surrounded by interpersonal conflict and and they're, they're so worried about how many exclamation points such and such put in their email and whether that was excitement or anger that it distracts them from the job that they're there to do. And by that, I mean the deep job that they're there to do, how they are trying to impact the world through their work. And so how did you, and I might ask this earlier, it's like, did you go into Cold Stone like saying, I'm going to impact people? Or I asked about the job thing, but like was Simone the trigger that says this is more meaningful than just scooping ice cream? Or were you always like that? And you're like, man, now it's time for me not to get in the way of myself and bring this mentality to work. Yeah, Simone was the point where I decided I wanted to reverse engineer what I had done. Um, that I wow. recognized how powerful um, what we had created was um, and looking around and seeing all of the problems that people typically have at work and wondering why, how we were able to get it right. And so many other people don't get it right. Um, so that's when I decided that we had to, we had to reverse engineer this and figure out what the recipe was and what's missing in other workplaces. And, and that's phenomenal because I think people, get into careers, jobs, and they put a status on the title and think that's meaningful. And you're in a situation, and I don't want to make light of the fact that people are scooping ice cream, but you're scooping ice cream and they're finding meaning in that. And, yeah. and, and so that means to me, what I hear you're saying there is that it's up to you to choose to find meaning and no matter what work you do. Yeah. So this, so this definitely, you know, I grew up where my father and I know um, how close you are with your parents and how impactful um, uh, they were on your philosophy of life. I've read your book a couple times. And, uh, <laughs> and um, uh, for me, my father and, and my grandfather, his father before him, um, they really uh, impacted me. Um, with the one message that that um, attitude is everything. Um, my grandfather was a uh, Holocaust survivor. His his um, mother, he was the oldest child, and his mother sent him to America um, in Nazi Germany right before the Holocaust and the war broke out um, to try to raise money and get visas for the rest of the family to come over. Uh, and when he was here doing that, um, the war broke out. He tried to join the, the army and somebody ratted on him that his plan was to go over there and then split up from the army and go search for his family. Um, and thankfully, somebody ratted on him and he got stuck in America in a kitchen, you know, so that he couldn't do that. That would have been suicide. Um, but he later found out through a neighbor who had uh, was an eyewitness of this, that the Nazis had come through and um, had the men dig a, a long ditch, um, lock the women in and children in the synagogue, burned the synagogue to the ground and, and um, killed all the men as well, right in their, the grave that they had 
um, that they had dug. And when he came to America, so he was now in America and he's learning all this and he's, and he's now has this choice to um, give up on everything, perhaps even his own life, right? How do you live and keep on going with that trauma after losing your siblings and your parents? And his dad had died earlier in life, but his mother and his grandparents and everybody you love, how do you, how do you move forward from that? So he had this choice to give up or to keep on going. And, and he uh, re kept on going, but more than that, he rebuilt. He built a business. He built a family. In fact, every one of his children, um, and I believe most of his grandchildren, were named after the people who were killed by the Nazis. And, um, you know, in his, in his final years, he's sitting at the Passover Seder, surrounded by this enormous family that he had rebuilt from the ashes. Um, and, and that was his answer to Hitler. You know, Hitler had come and tried to destroy him and nobody was going to destroy him. And, and so he had rebuilt. And so that message of, um, it's very much like that Viktor Frankl message that you find meaning in the suffering that you have to keep moving on um, and that and that it's all in here. The one thing that that will always be free is your um, ability to choose your attitude and your mindset. That was ingrained in me. So my very first job or one of my very first jobs as a kid, um, I was uh, working in a kennel and I was pooper scooping <laughs> inside this kennel. And I'm standing there with uh, with a coworker of mine and we're both pooper scooping. And I came to this realization as I looked over and saw her face that this poor girl was standing here picking up poop. For me, it wasn't that. For me, I was creating this environment, a safe and healthy environment for these ailing dogs. I was part of them, their process of getting better. This was caretaking for me. And so it wasn't picking up poop. It was caring for animals. For her, it was picking up poop. So there, it's always been in me and, and a part of me, but the fact that it was, it was contagious and it, was, and, and it spread um, to my, my Cold Stone kids and young adults was, was something else entirely. And, and it begs the question, why do any of us just go and clock out of life as we clock into work, right? And sort of just go through it to finance the weekends, if that. Um, work can be something bigger, and it's your choice. David, I'm like, I'm sitting here, like sitting on the edge of my seat, listening to every word you say, because it's so awesome. And you talk about what I heard was perspective. You're either picking up poop or you're making a place clean for all, for, your, for the dogs. Mm -hmm. And I hear the passion in your voice, man. I hear it, and I can see it on the, on the screen right now. And uh, you're somebody that cares. You, you're, you care, and you want to have this impact on the individuals and on the world. And so the, the passion, the passionate Dave that I'm talking to right now, you're, you're a high energy guy, right? Huh. And, and uh, I, I appreciate that. So we, in a conversation earlier, we talked about passion. We talked about uh, two types of passion, but if, if I can go backtrack a little bit, passion is derived from the word suffering, mm. right? And, and so you, we talked about, I might be a little off track here, but we, we talked a little about having harmonious passion versus mm. obsessive passion. Right. Can you elaborate a little more on that? 
Yeah, I think we're we're stuck in this crossroads right now where, you know, reality and, and healthy reality sort of falls in the nuance like we talked about also the other day. But um, we tend to go right toward the extremes. And so prior to COVID, there were we were so stuck in this workaholic, um, you know, the humble brag of in the, in the uh, break room or on LinkedIn talking about, you know, how many hours you work this week and, you know, poor me, but really you're showing off your value because you work so many hours. Look how, look how important I must be. Um, and, and that wasn't healthy. Um, so then when things stopped and we sort of looked at everything again with these new eyes and saw that everything we had built around us, the, the rat race itself was basically a social construct and not such a, not such a, uh, an, an old one. Right. And so we, we kind of amidst this existential crisis that we were all having too. <laughs> we, we looked at this and we said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want that. It was like. So many parents, I was one of them, became reintroduced to their kids for the first time, right? It was like, oh my God, look at these kids here. They're growing up so fast. And I had been laser vision on my career that I had, you know, just put it aside. And yeah, when I get wherever the heck I'm going, then I'll catch up. And how many milestones did I did I miss? And And that's the danger of passion when it's obsessive. I can't even tell you how many birthday parties of my own kids I missed. I remember a birthday party where I left, um, I had to leave my daughter's birthday party early, leave her and her friends and the guests and everybody early to get to work. Um, there was a time when my wife knew that if she wanted to visit me, she better come visit me at work. Otherwise she'd never see me during our waking hours. Um, that was obsessive passion. One thing that that's um, so um, uh, you know beautiful about you, Rob, is that when you talk about when we get down and we have this conversation, you'll go from your work to your hobbies to your friends to your clients to your family, and you will bounce around and around and be just as passionate about every element. And it and every aspect of that is so important to you. And and um, a lot of people would they focus so much on one that they get blinded to the rest. And it's like this this uh, false force choice, right? What is going to be my passion? Um, but you've always been multi passionate for as long as I've known you. And uh, and and that's powerful. And now we see within society, we see the great resignation followed by quiet quitting, which is just total disengagement, which naturally follows burnout, which so many people experience. And so we're in this, you know, storm of, of, of workers just pulling away and, and employers panicked and trying to pull them back or accommodate or whatnot. And, and, uh, what I fear is that we're we're colliding right toward this end where everything just becomes super transactional and that work is no longer, you, nowadays you can't even talk about your work team as your family without people rolling their eyes. Yeah. You know, there's so much cynicism. So the harmonious passion though, that's the piece that yes, passion historically within the literature, within 
um, philosophy and also sometimes in psychology, passion has been seen as a evil, the opposite of rationality. But passion also has been studied as this very healthy construct. Um, and, and harmonious passion is something that is a very different animal, so similar to obsessive passion. Work is still part of my identity, but it is not my identity. It is part of my identity. And so are these other things in my life. And so when people uh, wanna know what kind of uh, passion they have for their work, they could just answer the question, how guilty do you feel when you're tucking your kids in at night because of the work that you're not doing? How guilty wow. do you feel when you're sitting at work because you should be with your family? If you're feeling a lot of that guilt, then you are obsessively passionate. People who are harmoniously passionate, they're able to close their laptop and walk away to go to their kid's soccer game and come back to the laptop afterwards, knowing that everything will be all right, the work will still be there. It's about balance. So, so harmonious passion is equivalent to the balanced, balance, a balanced life. Maybe is that a better way to put it? Or yeah, and it, and it and it comes from an actual love for the work. The slight difference in where these things build out from is obsessive passion, and instead of being the love for the work, it's still a love for the work and you still identify with the work, but there's something playing behind the scenes. There's, there's um, that my ego, my self-esteem is built into my job. That I'm yeah. not working until one o'clock in the morning because I just can't get enough of this work. It's that if I fail, what would that look like? How would people judge me? And if I succeed, I'll be a hero. Those are the things that muddy the water. You should want to do the work because you want to do the work. Dave, that is so so like like mind boggling and, and powerful what you just said there. Because and I appreciate the the compliment and the, the the kind words you gave to me there. And look, I, I can sit here and tell you I was a workaholic at times, and some would still classify me as a workaholic. Mm -hmm. But I do understand the idea of. Uh, showing that passion for every aspect of life. And I do go to my kids' games. I, I, I you know, I, I didn't miss many games as they were growing up because I wanted to be there and I cared for the family. But there were days that I would, I was the guilty guy that I would go, go to work and, and feel bad about missing stuff at home. And I go to be home and I'd be like, okay, what am I missing at work? I was that guy for a little while, yeah. but I, I've learned over years not to be so obsessive about that mm -hmm. and guilt, feel guilty about right. that, as you said. And so that's, that's a great, uh, I guess, gauge to, determine whether you are suffering from that obsessive passion if you're feeling that guilt. Right. So the, it's, it's, uh, it's powerful that, that you have come up with this awareness. You've been way aware of all this and you're diving into it and you have a passion for this. I mean, I just, yeah. it's just, it's in your voice and I can hear you. And yeah. I just, I appreciate so much what you're doing and what you're sharing. And you are impacting the world. You impacted one person at a time who's going to take what you're telling us here on the podcast today. And whether you're working with them individually or on a team in a group, you're, you're impacting these people, buddy. And uh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the love right now, buddy. I love it. I love this. This is great stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's um, if I could share a quick story that I, that I share a lot when I'm speaking to people about this passion for work and, and, and moving past burnout and et cetera. Um, I, I often will close my speeches with a story that happened with my, my two oldest children when they were my two only children. 
my wife was um, uh, driving home from visiting her uh, her parents um, who live, you know, if you're familiar with the area, we're in Baltimore, they're in Carroll County. So um, from like, as a Baltimorean, I call that the boondocks, right? And so <laughs> they live out there and they say really long goodbyes. So I'm sure my wife tried to leave at six o'clock and then it became seven and eight and nine and 10. And suddenly it's like the middle of the night and uh-huh. she's got to drag these kids home and drive them, drive them all the way home. And so uh, she gets them in the car, puts my um, about two year old in the very back seat, uh, in her car seat. And um, she immediately seems to fall asleep. And my son is sitting in the middle seat. He's about five years old at the time. And they're driving down the road. And my son is looking out the window and the car is completely silent. Uh, When he breaks the silence and he says, uh, mommy, what's the purpose of deer? So they're driving <laughs> along and they pass this sort of herd of deer. And and he asked this really deep question. And my wife um, is a teacher and a mother. So she knows how to answer ridiculous questions like that that she doesn't know the answer <laughs> to. So she says, I don't know, honey. What do you think the purpose of deer is? Um, and turns it right back on him. And so from there, they start going back and forth and and listing all the different things that deer bring into this world, right? Like grace and beauty, trim the grass. My son thought maybe to feed the foxes. He turned out okay, but that's where his mind went, you know? And, uh, and, and <laughs> when they run out of ideas, the car goes completely silent again until uh, two-year-old Rena from the very back seat where everybody thought she was sound asleep peeps up and says, mommy, what's my purpose? Wow. And Holy cow, that's incredible. My wife's mind starts spinning like a, a, a mile a second, right? Like, what is Rena's purpose? And she's thinking, is she going to be the first female president of the United States? Is she going to invent the next Facebook? Is she going to find the cure for cancer? Like, what is her purpose? And before she can even utter a reply, my five-year-old son says, that's easy, Rena. Your joy. That's your purpose. You make people happy. Oh my gosh. And I got chills, Dave. I got chills. So I remind people of this because like my wife, we all knew that answer deep in here. At one point, we knew that your purpose is about the way you impact those around you. And that, and it is as simple as that. And also as big as that, right? But we become indoctrinated to think that to live a meaningful life, we have to make it to the cover of Time Magazine. We have to do something that drastically impacts everybody in this one fail swoop. And then you know you've lived a purposeful life, a meaningful life, but but it's not that. And so we put this pressure on us. And so this is why you can find meaning in scooping ice cream or even picking up poop because it's not about curing cancer. That's great if you can do that but it's about the way you impact those around you with your authentic self. My daughter is joy that her name Mm. literally means joy in Hebrew. And and, and, and it is so much her personality and, and she does impact people in that way. In the same way that my, my son impacts people through his unique wisdom and curiosity. And my other daughter does it through humor and, and we each impact the people around us and therefore the world um, through our small, authentic actions. And, and that's all that's really needed. And if we if we go into work with that mindset, 
then yeah, you're you can make a difference at work regardless of what it is that that you're being paid to do. I, I can imagine you sitting there in the car and hearing that and you're so proud that your daughter asked the question and then your five-year-old son spits out that answer. I, I'd be like, I'd have tears in my eyes yeah. you know, hearing that. Yeah. I think that is so amazing. And I got so many like more things well, whirling, whirling around in my head because, uh, you know, I, I think about the Rudy, Rudy and uh, what's it? Um, God, the uh, Rudy, the movie yeah. Rudy, right? And so remember the, the guy that the, he, he, he was a football player, but the I guess he was the janitor in the stadium or he was the um, he was a guy that showed Rudy walking through the tunnel. He said, you see that field? And, and he, was talking, he was trying to motivate him. And he talked about purpose. He talked about, you know, it's not about you know being this all-star football player. It's about how hard you work to get there. Yeah. And, and he had meaning in what he did. Is whether he was the maintenance guy or the janitor at the stadium, I can't remember off the top of my head here, but he had meaning in it. And so we, I, I think it's so profound that you're on to that and you're raising your kids that way. Gosh, it's incredible. And then the people you tied into that, you know, hey, it's not about the, the, the name, the status. It's about making meaning and, and taking meaning in everything you do. And, uh, you know, you said, I love what you said. You said something so simple, which it, simple means like simple, small, easy. And it's so big, right? Simple and big. I mean, they're paradoxical in, in that sense of words. So it, to, that took me back to um, Toastmasters and you and I being at Toastmasters. And I remember like learning early on that, hey, the way you connect with in Toastmasters is, is tell stories. And there would be people that would say, you know, my story's not big enough. Not, my story's not good hmm. enough. And everybody's story, no, help, no matter how big or small they feel it is, impact somebody it's yeah. just about where you are and where they are in that moment you share the story so that's that I I, I I i guess correlate that to what you said about having meaning at work your story everybody's story has a meaning and work has a meaning if you take that perspective and put it into it. that is so awesome david thank you so much for sharing that yeah, um course. i got i got one more question here and then I, well actually two more but the i want to go back to that uh, harmonious passion, obsession passion, because I had a question and I meant to ask it. So if I'm a person that is aware based on the symptoms that you, you, you gave you earlier, mm -hmm. that I'm an obsessive, passionate guy, and I want to be that harmonious, passionate guy, what do I do? How do I make that transition? Yeah. So first thing to recognize is that we all have a little bit of both, right? So um, you can't categorize this person's obsessive and this person's harmonious, but you hope that you are much more harmoniously passionate, right? But they can coexist in a weird relationship and they can ebb and flow. Um, but if you're finding that you are um, too obsessively passionate, you need to put up boundaries and, you, and, and simultaneously you need to connect with what's meaningful to you, right? Like why, what drove you here to begin with? Like, how did you get here? Why are you doing this type of work? And maybe the answer is that this type of work isn't for you or this organization doesn't support you in a way where this organization isn't for you. But the place to start, like we've been saying, is in here, right? It's the mental game. It's the, it's, it's, am I being true to me, right? And, and am I connecting with the things that might be right in front of me? Um, I forget the exact statistic, but they're now saying that, that a large percentage of, uh, the people who left their jobs uh, during the Great Resignation regret making that move. Wow. So I think it might be like a third of people or something like that. It's a it's a it's a surprisingly large number, not the majority, but a surprisingly large number. 
And uh, and and because I think sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? And uh, we start by pointing the finger at others. And if we allow our faith, our fate to be in the hands of others, our, for our happiness and fulfillment and meaning to be in the hands of others, we're never going to find happiness, fulfillment, meaning. We need to own that. Uh, so really connecting with the things that that you first connected with that drew you to this profession or this job uh, is, is a place to start while also putting up boundaries. Just say no sometimes. Protect yourself. Block, do calendar blocking and, and create specific time for your family, for you to recharge, for you to reflect, for you to write, for you to read, um, for you to, to reclaim your identity. One of the things with burnout that we see is that people depersonalize. It comes with the cynicism, but also like this depersonalization that they feel like uh, similar to depression. It's not, it's not as people expect that you feel sad all the time. It's, it's that you feel nothing all the time. Right, you just feel disconnected from yourself. Uh, you need to find a place to reconnect with yourself. There's a there's an old Jewish story about a um, uh, a rabbi and his son. The the mother dies, and um, the son starts disappearing for hours at a time. And the rabbi's you know looking where's my son just disappearing to, and and he figures out that his son is going deep into the woods on his own. And so the rabbi says to his son, why are you going into the woods? What is it? What are you, what are you looking for? And the son said, I go into the woods uh, to be close to God. And the, uh, and, and the rabbi says to his son, he says, but son, God is the same everywhere. And the son says, yeah, but I'm not. Right? Ooh. You got to find where you are you, where you can feel yourself again, right? Something, whether it's in nature with loved ones or with a good book or writing, journaling, um, being in service to others, whatever it is that lights your fire, you got to light that flame. Even if it doesn't feel like there's a real flame there yet, just just ignite the small flame and set up boundaries. And, and over time, that flame will grow and, and, and become reignited. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can sense in here that you're in the right spot, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> There's no question about that. That is, that's great stuff. I'm, I can't wait to play this back and listen to everything we just talked about. So, you know, I, I think you've blessed a lot of people here today. So my one final question for you, you mentioned the God, right? So, you know, is God, you're a smart guy and you're a long, you've come a long way and, and and like you're on the on the verge or precipice, let's say, of this PhD. You just gotta mm -hmm. make sure you do this dissertation in less than a year or two, <laughs> and now 14 right. years. But so how much more, like how much more is there for David Shore? How much more chiseling is, is there to go here to get to where you want to go? I don't think that I have a destination in mind. I think the the PhD, that's definitely destination. I want that. But people ask me what next, what after that? And there's not really a an answer to that. And it's not that I don't know um, like what I want or whatnot. I'm, I'm very content with what I, happy with what I have, but never content with it. Um, I think that life is about, is about the chiseling. It's about the growth. It's not about um, the destination. I don't, I don't believe that the point of it is a destination. I think the point of all of this is the struggle, the growth, the, um, the, the journey that we're on.
Yeah, that's powerful because I'm thinking the other thing here because, you know, chiseling, you picture, okay, there's a piece of marble here and we're chiseling and these chunks are falling off and then this 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 thing evolves. So like chiseling is taken away and an evolution is a bringing up, but they're both the same, right? right? They're, they're one and the same. So it's like, I see you, like all these big chunks have come off this marble and Dave's in this spot and now he's got to do this like fine little fine chisel, little pieces here, little pieces there, a little little sanding here to fine-tune David Shaw as he keeps going along the way. Because you're right, there is no destination. Because yeah. there's, there's no, I believe there's no no such thing as there. Because when we want to get there, you want to do something else. So David Shaw, you're in the process of being chiseled. You've been chiseled uh, in a big way, and you're going to be you're going to have these simple small pieces fall apart as you continue to evolve into the uh, the the doctor, the doctor David Shaw that you're going to be. So I think that's so awesome. That's great. I, you know, I think about, um, like I tell my kids all the time that perfection does not exist in this world. Perfection is, is an ideal. And the point of the world is to get closer to it. It's the, it's the Japanese concept of Kaizen uh -huh. constant improvement working toward perfection is perfect, right? Perfection itself doesn't exist. That is, that's a great, that's a great note to end on. So I heard everybody heard that. I hope everybody heard that. So uh, say one more time before I let you go here. Perfection doesn't exist. It's the path toward perfection, the Kaizen, the, the journey toward it, the, the striving for it. That is perfection. Just the journey itself is the, the actual destination doesn't exist outside of an ideal that's awesome. So Dave, before I let you go, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, you opened it at number one and two, if they wanted to, you, if you are open to it, how does somebody get a hold of you if they want to chat with David Char? Or should yeah, I say Dr. David Char? <laughs> <laughs> they, they could uh they could connect with me uh anywhere at Illuminate PMC. It's a big name. I didn't think about the logistics of that when I named my company, but I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-E PMC for performance management consultants. Uh, you can find me on any social media under there, um, except LinkedIn, where I spend a lot of my time, maybe too much time. I, I love uh, having powerful conversations on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me just as David Shar, and that's S-H-A-R. And thank you for that, David. And you said you, you don't know where the illuminate came from, but think about that. When you're when you, you are illuminated, your energy is illuminating and awareness when you have this awareness, something was illuminated in your head or your mind or whatever. So I think it's, I think it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you just talked about the no such thing as perfect. I think it's an awesome name for you or for the, uh, for the uh, email address for the uh, company. And we didn't even get into that. So uh, you, David is a speaker. I consult him. He does a lot of human resource work. And uh, if there's anybody, anybody in the human resource world is listening into that, please reach out to Dave. He, he's an awesome speaker. As you heard him today, he do great, things for your company. And uh, I, 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 he's got my vote. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> so Dave, thanks for being on. I appreciate you. And until next time, everybody, let's go get chiseled. Thank you so much. You just got chiseled with Rock and Star. Be sure to like this podcast, share it with your friends and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Also, you can find Rob's book on Amazon, Better Than Equal.